Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On my least favorite topic. It's okay. <laughs> All right, so apparently uh, our last introduction worked, so Jeremy's trusting us with, uh, with the second time. But uh, we are here on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. I am Randy Harris with my wife, uh, Sandra. Hi. We are both the co-host of the AT Corner podcast, so thank you again uh, to Jeremy for letting us uh, kind of co-host these episodes. Um, we really appreciate it, and we are here at the Sports Medicine Update in uh, 2023. Um, like we were saying, we have uh, Dr. Slavis here. We're going to do a follow-up on um, uh, facial injuries, the evaluation and management. Um, it was a great presentation, and I know it's uh, one that Sandra holds dear to her heart. Very dear. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get us started? Yeah. So, Dr. Salapas, I know we were talking a little bit before about this, and um, you know, I've I've talked about this a lot on our podcast. So, if you're a longtime listener, you would know how how <laughs> much I dislike facial injuries. Um, so, how common are these facial injuries actually occurring? Um, I mean, it's like around like. 20 to 40 percent of all like sports medicine injuries actually involve the face but sometimes it's just something a little bit like hey you know i got slapped in the face while they were trying to reach for a ball during a soccer game um it could be something as simple as that or like, you know bumping heads during basketball you know most of the times when we think of like head injuries is usually like a concussion mechanism you know involved mm-hmm. in things like that like headers basketball games um uh, ball to head kind of things like in volleyball. Um, so those are things that you're like, oh, you just got hit in the head and concussion. But like the ones that are more serious are like soft tissue injuries, right? And you can see that with like high velocity forces like in soccer, basketball. Um, I've covered professional rugby for the last five years and uh, facial injuries kind of happen on a weekly basis uh, with that sport. Uh, um, but it's something that you just have to uh, be aware of. Um, and then knowing, trying to be comfortable with managing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of organ systems involved in the head, and people don't realize that. Yeah, when I think of facial injuries, the first thing I think of is blood. Just be prepared for blood. Blood, yeah, blood. <laughs> um, you know, if they're spitting out blood, and I was like, all right, what hit? What mm-hmm. did you, yeah. Are you having a nosebleed, and you're just sucking it back, and then spitting it through your mouth? Did you chip a tooth? Um, is your why is your cheek all numb? You know? <laughs> like, did you break a cheekbone? Yeah, so it's one of those things, you know, like in an on-field assessment, you just like ask them like, what happened? What hurts? And then that's where you can kind of hone in on their uh, differential, you know? Um, you know, we have our auditory, our visual, mm-hmm. our smell, our taste symptoms. It's <laughs> like all the senses actually are involved in uh, facial injuries. So when you do have a facial injury, what is where does your mind go as far as initial assessment? What are you looking for? Um, well, hopefully if I'm on the, on the sideline and watching and I'm watching that mechanism, but the first thing I go to is I, I go immediately to the player and I make sure that they are talking and having an airway, right? Because sometimes those things can, can be dicey real fast. Mm-hmm. So if they're like, ow, I think this guy just clipped me in the 
ear or something like, okay, good. <laughs> you're breathing, you're talking to me. Okay, and then I can hone in. So the very first thing I always think of is airway and communication. Once I've established that within the first like two seconds, then I give a little bit of an exhaled relief and then we'll see what's going on from there. Great question. Yeah. Um, I know you talked a little bit about ecchymosis and um, when those could be potentially dangerous. Can you talk a little bit about um, ecchymosis and when to refer with that? Oh, yeah. So uh, like in my talk, I was basically saying like the two kind of ecchymoses or bruising that I really worry about is what we call the raccoon eyes. And it has to be both eyes where they have that kind of like raccoon eye look where that bruising is on the on the bottom side of their eyes um, because uh, that's where you're concerned like did they have like a basal or skull fracture mm -hmm. um, and that is something that's like hey the brain is right there as well and that's one of the things that you just have to like hey we need to send you to the ER we need to get a CAT scan to make sure that your like skull is okay so that's one of them the other type of um, uh, ecchymosis is that when they see the ecchymosis on the behind the ear we call that a battle sign and typically they're also tender in the um, mastoid process like right in the base of the skull and if they're tender there with some bruising that's another sign for a basal or skull fracture and that's the one where you go ahead and um, send, go ahead and uh, get EMS involved and uh, get them to the hospital for those kind of skull fractures is surgery uh common for that or is it just kind of like hey we're just trying to make sure the actual brain tissue is okay with the ct imaging and stuff yeah it's usually with ct imaging if it looks like it's a, a little crack or it's just like really bruised and it's just bruised, but it's you have to assume you know mm -hmm. like with a lot of things you just assume skull fracture until otherwise noted mm -hmm. so not all require surgery mm -hmm. but it's something that you have to rule out perfect I know something that stuck with me from one of our earlier talks was um, uh, the dentist who came in and gave their talk. They were talking about how um, mouthpieces can actually help prevent uh, mandibular fractures because of like the condylar, because of the way that the mouth guard separates the upper and bottom uh, teeth. It actually takes the the condyle of the uh, the mandible, kind of like brings it inferior and and uh, anterior. So I thought that was really interesting. And mm -hmm. then you kind of touched upon um, mandibular fractures in your talk as well with, uh, just like you were saying, with the airway and the management. Um, with these, are we, are we looking at surgery for those or is it non-surgical? It depends on what kind of fracture it is. If it's one of those fractures that, hey, it doesn't look displaced, mm -hmm. then you can do conservative management and they'll be okay in a couple of weeks. They'll probably have to be on a soft diet, you know, like pureed stuff because, you know, mm -hmm. opening their jaw hurts. If you fractured your jaw, chewing hurts, right? Mm -hmm. So they need to have a, a soft diet involved for a couple of weeks as that heals. Now, the good, the important thing about those athletes is that especially if they're a high-level athlete, if like in the elite high school, collegiate, professional, um, nutrition has to be important too, right? You don't want them to lose weight, lose mm -hmm. the calories, lose the protein that they lose because they can't chew their, their food, right? So you have to think of like high protein puree foods. And I know we have a, a, a we have our sports dietitians here in this conference. I'm sure they have a better way of like uh, discussing that, but um, nutrition has to be one of the top things with like uh, jaw fractures uh, to deal with, to make sure that, that when it's healed, we're not losing too much time off of the, uh, or 
with recovery back to their sport. During that healing time um, for a mandibular fracture, what is, what is the athlete allowed to do? Like what, I was just about to ask Yeah, what, what are they like safely allowed to, like what kind of activities? Um, it's going to be as tolerated, you okay. know, if they can, uh, if they can lift, if they can exercise, probably light exercise. Cause you know, it's sometimes when you, when you're like really doing like full circuit training and, uh, sprints, people tend to clench their jaws, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you probably do, you know, when you're trying to sprint, you're going to tighten up your jaws and stuff like that. So it's probably going to be like light cardiac exercise, uh, some weight training, um, to where that, uh, they're able to do something, but it's not like so stressful that they're trying to clench their, their mm -hmm. jaw. And especially if they have a fracture, if they're going to try to do too much, they're going to feel it as well. Interesting. Yeah. You never really kind of think of that until obviously you have a mandibular fracture. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, in your talk, you also talked about just that difference between the return to play as far as like, Hey, non-contact, Hey, maybe four weeks, but if you're looking at a contact sport, it may be two to three months. For that contact athlete, what are you kind of looking for to make that determination of that return to play maybe at two months instead of three months? Is there any criteria you're kind of looking for? Um, it really depends on the sport and their position. Um, you know, I've I've taken care of players with, like, facial fractures mm -hmm. that even though the literature does say two to three months, I've gotten them back in in a month. You okay. Know? It's like, well, you know, if, for example, sorry, I'm, like, reeling this back to, like, rugby because it's, like, the, <laughs> the sport where facial injuries are, like, regular <laughs> in the scrum like if you're like a forward in that scrum right and it's all like head to neck mm -hmm. you know it's not just face it's like head neck shoulder kind of stuff pushing against you know if they're that then i'm like hey you may need to take a couple more weeks maybe towards the two three month part but if you're like the guy in the back mm -hmm. you know like you're you're a winger and your job is to just run fast and throw <laughs> the ball it's like well just try not to get hit in the face <laughs> That's always good advice. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, you know, in, in soccer, uh, you know, if they're feeling pain free and uh, they're not having too much pain, they can open their jaw up and down. Or if it's like a like a cheekbone fracture or something like that. And then if it's like a couple of weeks and it's healing, mm -hmm. um, that's where you consider, hey, maybe you should just play with a mask. Got it. So I don't work rugby and you were doing a great job at making me feel really good about my decision not to work wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great sport. Um, but I know that you were talking about the um, some of the regulations in rugby that they aren't allowed to wear certain masks or... Um, oh, yeah, so um, protective gear. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to say protective gear is not allowed in rugby. It's um, But basically hard-shelled things. Okay. So uh, in rugby... Uh, they use a lot of padding and electrical tape, mm -hmm. <laughs> rolls mm -hmm. and rolls of that um, to either pad their AC joints, uh, pad their, their thighs, protect the ribs, whatever it may be. So you have to get a little uh, creative on how to do certain padding. Like I showed in the picture of um, a rugby athlete with like a nasal fracture, they literally just use electrical tape and padding and went over the nasal bridge, making sure they had vision in their eyes. It kind of made this like weird, um, you know, weird looking mask with just like three pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty creative. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the only thing that they can have in, in rugby, aside from that, like the padding and the taping is a mouth guard. So got it. Um, TMJ dislocation is another one that you talked about that 
I have not seen, luckily, um, but you were, can you also talk about the, um, the relocation process that you, you discussed? Oh, yeah. So um, most of the time when the TMJ is dislocated, um, it's usually um, kind of down and outwards, right? So the way uh, you uh, reduce that back is putting a little bit of some posterior pressure and then try to push that back in. Because usually the TMJ is kind of like that U-shape, so then it kind of moves forward out. So you're just trying to move that back in. So um, if you're going to attempt a TMJ dislocation reduction, uh, wear gloves <laughs> and then roll some pads on your thumbs. Because like the way the picture shows it, like I said, I've only had to do this once, is that you have to get your their thumbs on the bottom molars and see if you can push it down and then go inwards a little bit to see if you can reduce that uh, joint back. So I usually, uh, the one time I did this, I actually wrapped a couple of uh, like Curlex, like two by fours, and then, and, and just really pray that he doesn't snap my, <laughs> my thumbs. And this is, it did go back in. Um, he didn't like bite in, but I just have his thumbs closed, like, okay. And then I really just moved my thumbs a little bit out and got into his cheeks and took out, and he was okay. But um, I did that once. I did not put that person back in the game. I was like, let's just, uh, uh, let's just, just, just call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> See how you feel. Even though the, the guidelines said that if they're feeling okay, they can kind of, depending on the sport, you could theoretically put them back in. Like, um, but I just didn't feel comfortable. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. Right. Is there any like particular follow up for that? I mean, obviously you want a possible X-ray to rule out any other fractures, but are there any like MRI or anything? Because you do have the meniscus also, and the um, like at that TMJ joint. Yeah, usually um, if that's the case, um, once they're feeling okay, um, depending on, I'll probably follow up with them or uh, ask the electrician what their symptoms are mm -hmm. if they're having anything in the 24 hours because that's where I kind of determine. Do I need to send you to like head and neck okay. to see that? Or if you're having some teeth issues with that, maybe do I need to send you to um, uh, a dentist or you can get the, the oral maxillofacial <laughs> person who has an MD and a dentist degree and see if they have, um, uh, see if they can chime in on any uh, recommendations for further follow-up. Got it. But typically, if it's back in, it's like most you know dislocations, everyone gets one in their life, right? Yeah. Per, mm -hmm. per joint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's only a one-time thing and they're okay after a couple of days, like, okay, let's just watch it. Got it. Perfect. So for a maxillary fracture, this is the one that, that I hope that I never see. Um, have you seen one of these clinically? No. Uh, well, not in sport. Okay. All right. So most commonly, maxillary fractures are usually from like motor vehicle accidents, mm -hmm. motorcycle accidents. So outside of a case of a, like a high impact trauma dealing with the automobile, I've actually never seen one in sport. It takes a lot of effort to um, fracture a jaw. And probably the one sport I can see that may have the highest risk would be any type of combat sports. Got it. Mm -hmm. For, I, I thought it was interesting because I didn't know about that splinting technique for like a mandibular fracture and stuff. Is there a particular technique to splint like a Lafort fracture or anything like that? You can do that uh, Barton's uh, okay. bandage technique as well. Um, uh, because what you're doing is that you're just trying to really just, you know, keep mm -hmm. that skull and jaw in place. Got it. 
I feel like that reminds me after you get your wisdom teeth out and you just are trying oh. to like keep your ice <laughs> on your jaw. <laughs> yeah, and then they wrap that a bandage <laughs> yep. over it with the ice. Yeah, it's kind of similar. Um, but the only way, like, the only difference is, is that you have to kind of wrap that around the forehead too, so they can get a better yeah, lock control. It. Yeah, better lock. Um, you showed some great pictures of zygomatic fractures. Um, what are the key signs of of a, a zygoma fracture? So um, it could go two ways. One way, they have that really big swelling mm -hmm. right onto the cheekbone, or there's no zygoma bone. Or the opposite way, is there a dent <laughs> <laughs> in said cheekbone? You know, uh, I showed that picture of like Russell Westbrook mm -hmm. from the uh, when he was with the Thunder. He had that kind of uh, dent, and there was that uh, LAFC mm -hmm. player um, that I showed that had it uh, a few years ago too. Both were, I think, were managed surgically uh well i know the la galaxy player i'm not sure if probably westbrook if there's a dent probably, yeah probably yeah. Fix that <laughs> um but then they were returned they returned back to their sport in a few weeks wearing a mask that's amazing that's crazy mm -hmm. and i think uh when lebron his wasn't a zygoma fracture i believe it was a nose fracture yeah he wore that right. uh uh his zorro mask so to speak <laughs> um and i think the most famous player player that actually had wore a mask for um, was probably Rip Hamilton. Yes. Right? So mm -hmm. like with the Pistons, I know I'm dating myself here with 2000s NBA basketball, but um, <laughs> I think he wore that for a couple of seasons. I think it just yeah. became who he was. I mean, when you build a persona, you know, might as well keep yeah. it going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with the nasal, nasal fractures, um, when can you get them back to sport? Um, with nasal fractures, like I said, it depends on the sport and position. Um, typically, it is a couple of weeks, sometimes four to six. But like I said, I have had nasal fractures where I've sent them back at like two, three weeks, as long as they're pain-free mm -hmm. and they feel like they can breathe okay. Yeah. Um, that's usually um, the thing. And um, yeah, if a couple of weeks and if they can breathe you know, okay, and it doesn't hurt when they actually push on the nasal bridge, I'll, I'll let them go back and play. Awesome. With a, a mask? Um, Depending? Plus on or minus, it depends. Okay. It depends on the player, too. Because the thing is, it's like nasal fractures, sometimes it's not the bone. It could be the cartilage. Mm -hmm. So, like, if the x-ray doesn't show, like, hey, your bone didn't fracture, but it was more of the cartilage and they feel fine after two, three weeks, I'll, I'll let them okay again. I've only seen one displaced um, cartilage of a uh, nose, and it was um, jujitsu, and it didn't bleed. It literally was just displaced, and the kid could breathe okay, and we just referred him to get it reduced. But Right, yeah, and that's sometimes the case, too. And then uh, in the case of, like, uh, mask wearing uh, regarding that, Sometimes uh, the player just wants that for, for comfort, um, mm -hmm. just to make sure it doesn't get injured again. And like I said, in certain sports, like in combat sports or rugby, um, uh, sometimes when the nose is broken, the nose is broken, they'll just continue to play. And they're like, they always, there's that other question is like, when should I get this fixed? Because you know? <laughs> sometimes people have that like crooked nose. And right. it's, you know, and I tell them like, uh, when you give up the sport is when you get it fixed <laughs> like if you're gonna play next season you're gonna break there's a chance you're gonna break it again so wait until you hang up your cleats <laughs> mm -hmm. and then get it fixed true 
Um, speaking of the nose, we were you, t- you had a good chat on um, nosebleeds. And we've all had that one athlete that, man, this nose just is not stopping. At what point is this kind of like an EMS call like on a nosebleed? Um, I would say with, uh, with the nosebleeds is when they're actually having symptoms of kind of like lightheadedness okay. or dizziness, when I think there's a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, those things that just can just continuously bleed, sometimes yeah. like mm-hmm. over the course of like an hour, you're like, man, it's like I'm trying to, I'm trying to stop this, it's still going. <laughs> But I would say if it's like, um, if they're feeling lightheaded or having a headache, I was like, hey, I don't feel good. Or if they're feeling nauseous or something like that with the nosebleed, you know, could there be other things involved with the nosebleed too? Are they having some like symptoms of like a concussion just like kind of emerging right in front of you while you're trying to manage this nosebleed? So. Got it. So that actually brings up a good point because, you know, with nosebleeds, typically you want to have them leaning forward. Um, but if, they ha- if they're dizzy or lightheaded, you would typically lay them back. So how would you manage that while you're? Yeah, that's a tough one too. <laughs> um, you know, it's maybe just like tilting, uh, tilting the head, and then just really just kind of pinching and seeing if you can do the best. Like you know, maybe tell them to just uh, maybe just sit down and not necessarily lay down. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be an option too. Because um, like my the the always concern is that if you have them lay down and they're feeling dizzy and they're still bleeding. Um, what if that, you know, obviously that the blood can go down to the back of the throat. What mm-hmm. if there's something more uh, serious going on mm-hmm. and they're kind of like waning in consciousness and then, that, and they're out, and then you have to worry about like blood in, in the airway mm-hmm. you know, to concern about too. So it's a, it's a tough one to answer. I don't know <laughs> if I answered that right, but it's just one of those things you just kind of have to see what, what's best with the, mm-hmm. with the athlete. I want to move on to orbital injuries. Yes, let's do it. Um, I know I've suffered a few corneal abrasions <laughs> in my athletic training career. <laughs> Out at softball, the dirt got under my contact, and yeah. um, I've had a couple. Or of turf s- chips. Oh, that's so gross. <laughs> We're just working on our house, just like all the things that mm-hmm. I've had a couple, but um, <laughs> yeah. look, actually, I don't think I've had a corneal abrasion in one of my athletes. I've had foreign bodies. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Like grass blade. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh yeah, like or a, a, you know, they go for a touchdown and then like the chips of the turf just yeah. get into their eye and then you just like yeah, I think I got a chip <laughs> in my eye or something. Yeah, which is gross knowing just what's on the turf oh. beads. Like oh yeah, oh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that'd be a case for the antibiotics you were talking yeah, about right. if you're worried about you infection. Go. Right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, you also talked about eyelid lacerations, and you said to refer um, specifically to an ophthalmologist. Do they have ophthalmologists usually on call at ERs? If they go to a uh, a big hospital, so this mm-hmm. is the one where like you don't go to urgent care. You actually go to an actual ER that's attached to the hospital. They should have an ophthalmologist on call okay. uh, to deal with that. It's just because, you know, if you think about it, the skin of your eyelid is very thin and there are tiny muscles involved that make it go up and down. So mm-hmm. this is where, like, even ER doc will not touch this. Like, yeah. This is, you need, like, someone who actually deals with eye injuries. And also in the lower eyelid, you know, you have your tear ducts there. So if you don't have the expertise of an eye doctor, you may, like, ruin some, like, tear duct glands mm-hmm. as well. Interesting. 
So that's something to consider. But like with eyelid lacerations, it should be done by like an ophthalmologist or an oculoplastics person. Eyebrow lacerations, you know, ER dying, I do those left and right in rugby. (laughs) But uh, eyelid is something that needs further expertise. So for the eyelid lacerations, our job is mostly just control the bleeding and then refer? Yeah, control the bleeding, uh, cover it when you can just to prevent from any, you know, outside environment stuff going in if it's an open eyelid stuff. That's the one we're probably recommend like if like a shield or some sort of cover mm-hmm. and then uh, and go ahead and refer and then have him go straight to the ER. Perfect. I feel like the biggest question that <clears throat> Usually if someone hasn't dealt with a lot of facial injuries, it um, is, you know, we talk about the, the management strategies and when to refer, but I think the, the transition between those two, like what do I do with a, uh, like I have an orbital fracture. What, like, do I just send them? Do I have to stabilize them in some way? Do I have to mm-hmm. pack in some way or, you know, things like that. I think that's some of the, the transition questions are, um, what to do um, in that we say refer like actually do like the actual right. action the actual the action, action part I think is the yeah. biggest um, well with any type of trauma you know I'll always go back to the ABCs you know check their airway check the breathing check the circulation and if that's okay if you're concerned of like an orbital fracture then like that uh, the next thing I do is like evaluate the neck you know make sure there's no neck yeah. injury so once you're okay with that they can sit up you know they can and then you can evaluate like hey like I'm having double vision. Uh, I feel like I can't move my eye up and down. You know, is it something like, did they have orbital floor fracture and then like the eyelid muscle or the, the eyeball muscles like stuck on that where that fracture is? That's where you're like, okay, what hurts? Cover it, cover, take care of any symptoms, nosebleed. Uh, if the photosensitivity, put a cover in their eye and then just go ahead and refer and just continue to communicate with the athlete. Awesome. Um, are most orbital injuries something that you would refer to the ER, or are there some that you can kind of get away with more urgent care? Uh, like corneal abrasions, I think you can send to urgent care. You know, um, you know, sometimes they'll people get sometimes get poked in the eye from a soccer game, mm-hmm. and like it's the it's the contact lens that they were wearing just like <laughs> scratch their their eye. I mean, those I think you can send to. Um, like an urgent care because then they can just do like that topical anesthetic and then make sure and then all that will heal. So usually that or maybe a foreign body, you know, if it's like a like a grass blade or something like that, I think those could be appropriate for an urgent care. Uh, something that's more concerning if it goes to an ER is obviously like a globe rupture, eyelid laceration, um, anything that's concerned with like loss of vision, something mm-hmm. like that. I think the last thing you touched upon in your um, presentation was on ear injuries. And I'm sure you've seen your fair share (laughs) of ear injuries. Um, But something that really stuck out to me was the ear magnets that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of those. I've never seen that before. (laughs) I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I didn't even know those existed (laughs) until I started covering rugby. I didn't know even those things. But there are magnets out there that you can put like right in that outside ear just to squeeze it. And it's there for like, uh, you know, for prevention of cauliflower ears, you know. That's so, um, so if you are a uh, jujitsu or MMA fighter and you're, you're you're grappling and stuff like that, you have ear injury and then you had the, the swelling and then they put these uh, 
uh, Magnuson. So, because you know, sometimes these swellings happen like the next day. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. With those auricular hematomas. So they'll just put those magnets in. They're like, you know, just to keep it on after a practice or after a fight, just to prevent uh, swelling. So if someone does come to you with cauliflower ear, how long do they have to drain it? Um, well, hematomas, right? Cauliflower ear is when everything, had, they didn't take care of the hematomas mm. and then they've Got kind it. of like it. created the cauliflower ear and it's mm-hmm. already like gelatinized <laughs> as a cauliflower ear. But prior to that, you know, they would have these like hematomas. So as soon as it's there and it's kind of mushy, I say, come in, let's drain it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've... I've gotten, I've taken like 10 cc's out of an ear. You know, oh, wow. Just, and then, and then the ear, once you take that, uh, that fluid out or that kind of like that blood that accumulated in there, they return, they go back and retain their, their shape. And that's where, um, if the player has, uh, magnets, then they can do that. Or I, uh, I wrap their head, you know, just get gauze and just wrap their head and keep you know keep the tips of the ears just flat and tell them to wear that for the next like one to two days so oh, okay make sure it doesn't reaccumulate awesome can it does it does it have to be like the same day that you notice that the hematoma is developed or can it be within a week or like it could be within the week or the, within the next couple of days okay um as long as it's squishy that means i can get some fluid out <laughs> if you wait too long though because you know things get resorbed and things harden and that's where mm-hmm. you get, at that point I, like, I can't drain anything <laughs> it's part of you now yeah it's it's there to stay right <laughs> are there any really memorable facial injuries that you um have had the opportunity to take care of no just kind of funny <laughs> scenarios you know like i said it's always uh um you know like a turf pellet in the eye a blade stuck in the eye some guy getting scratched with his like contact lens and he's like like trying to look for the contact it's like dude just give up man you're not gonna put that back in you know just play without your contact lens uh nothing uh nothing memorable you know i've had a lot of conversations about like return to play with like nose fractures and mm-hmm. things like that and um you know and then getting them to return to to sport but um and obviously we're talking about all these like crazy uh, facial kind of injuries, but the most common head injury I see, and I'm sure all of you, is it's a concussion. So mm-hmm. but that's a whole different type of topic. <laughs> you got anything else, Randy? Nope, that was perfect. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise on uh, facial, eye, nose injuries. Um, we really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And one last tidbit I like to ask, like, remember, like, you have all five senses on your head. So those are the kind of questions that mm-hmm. I ask. Like, are you able to see, can you smell? Can you hear anything? Can you taste anything? <laughs> can you move it? So <laughs> think, think of your five senses as well. And that's where, that's where I kind of ask those questions and start honing in a differential um, after that. That's a good tidbit. Yes, I like that. That's something you can definitely use right there. Yeah. Um, and thank you again to uh, Jeremy Jackson for uh, allowing us to... Uh, uh, share his microphone on the sports medicine broadcast. We really do appreciate it. Um, you can definitely get in contact with, uh, Jeremy Jackson through his Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. He is out there. A lot of episodes. He's the goat. And, uh, I'm Randy with my wife, Sandy from the AT corner podcast. She knows all our fine print a lot better than I do. Uh, I know we have our Facebook group. You can find us on Instagram, AT corner podcast. That's probably, 
where we're most active. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, I'll channel my inner Jeremy Jackson, and that's a wrap. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.